Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome to the Believe in 76ers podcast. I'm Justin Grasso. And I'm Kevin McCormick. And this is a podcast dedicated to covering the Philadelphia 76ers on the Believe Podcast Network. Kev, it might be a gloomy day in Philly, but I'm pretty sure the city's probably on a high today. I didn't leave the house since getting home from the arena last night. I know you you briefly left. So did you notice anything different? Were the vibes different for uh, Sixers fans out in the city today? Listen, the birds were chirping. The, the flowers are blooming. The Sixers are going to the second round. Obviously, there's still a little doom and gloom because of this Embiid injury, but I'd say we're feeling pretty good. Yeah. All right. Well, that's good to hear. It's good to hear. Um, you know, last night, uh, game five, Wizards came into town. They surprisingly won game four. Let's let's cover that real quick because we haven't recorded since that game four loss. I think uh, we have to take our, our L's here because we confidently said that they were in a sweep. I wish I would have just stuck with my original prediction when I said, (laughs) because it it literally played out the way I said it would originally. They're going to sleepwalk through a game and then maybe tease a comeback in the end, and then they'll lose one. And uh, that's what happened. But I'll take my L because I said that they'll sweep after seeing game three. But Sixers come in game five. They host the Wizards. 100% capacity at the Wells Fargo Center. Obviously, I think that played a role into their win because the environment was was pretty crazy. And um, yeah, I mean, aside from that win, I guess things are kind of doom and gloom because there's a lot of unknowns. Uh, Joel and B got hurt. What was your kind of reaction when you heard the actual official news? I started to lose optimism, if I'm going to be completely honest. I think anytime you see meniscus tear, your mind automatically goes to the worst, especially with a guy like Embiid. But, I mean, the fact that they have had him listed as doubtful and day-to-day, I think, is extremely encouraging. And I think it, it just goes to the fact that they still don't have a clear and concise answer. I feel like an injury like this, they're going to repeatedly look at it and it's not going to just be a one shot thing. And, you know, all the Twitter doctors have been saying that an injury like this, you really can't get a finite answer until 48 to 72 hours after just because of swelling and such. So you can't even get a good view of what you're looking at yet. So I think the fact that he's not automatically ruled out is a major victory. I think that update could have been much, much worse. So I would say I've lost a little bit of optimism, but I, I still feel that we haven't seen the last of Embiid this postseason. Yeah, the whole the whole timeline with it was really weird. Like, when it happened, it looked like he hurt his back. Like, he was grabbing at his back. They go in a timeout. They resume the game. He continues playing for a couple minutes. First of all, he played 11 minutes in the first quarter, which was weird from, from the gate. And then he leaves the game, and then he goes the whole second quarter, no update, nothing, and then halftime he's ruled out with knee soreness. So when I saw that, I'm like, when did this guy hurt his knee? (laughs) I had no idea. Then I rewatched it. And then you do kind of notice, okay, his knee did buckle when he planted his foot, you know, trying to break his fall. And then just the whole timeline was strange. Doc Rivers didn't even know that he hurt his knee. So that was weird. 
Daryl Morey's tweeting out cryptic stuff saying, you know, it's okay. Everything's going to be all right. And then, then you get all the optimism from certain insiders around the, around the Philly market who are saying, you know, I'm hearing he's fine. It's okay. And then MRI results come out and he's doubtful. And I, you know, I felt like how you did, you know, okay, he's doubtful. He's not ruled out. That's perfect. I mean, he's obviously wasn't going to play. It's pretty obvious, but hearing that he was doubtful and not out, I thought was a positive sign. And then I think same thing, like optimism was kind of shot when you see meniscus tear, you see any type of knee tear you think for the worst. So I definitely agree with that. Um, But like you said, like, I I think he's going to make a comeback at some point. Now I'm I'm not going to try and play, play doctor here. I don't know when, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. I don't know anything about meniscus tear. So I have no idea. I just think that at some point Embiid is going to try and push through and play in these playoffs. But I'd be lying if I said that um, the next round doesn't, you know, from just if you're watching it from a fan's uh, standpoint, it would scare me. You know what I mean? But we're not going to get there yet. Let's let's just get back to the positive real quick. We just didn't cover that yet. I wanted to start with that. But uh, last night with them beat out, uh, Sixers players knew that they had to step up. They knew that they had to come in and have a big game. We always talk on here about a big three, which is you know obviously Simmons, Harris, and Embiid. Last night, the Sixers leaned on Harris and Simmons, but they had a big three. Seth Curry, how was he last night? How do you how do you think he looked? He's incredible. I mean, he reminded the entire NBA that the other Curry brother plays in Golden State, not in Philadelphia. He looked like he was watching some Steph highlights before the game. There were It was crazy to see how aggressive he came out, but not only that, how he maintained it throughout the game. It Early on, I think I'd even put in my notes, uh, like I put this, the Seth Curry game, question mark, like is this what we're going to get in this game five clincher? Like is he going to be the unsung hero? And it was. I mean, he set a new playoff career high. 30 points on 17 shots, that is just ridiculous. So, I mean, the efficiency was there. Doc let him run a little more. We saw him a little more at the point guard in this game, playing the pick and roll with Simmons, moving around, kind of doing his thing. So, like you said, someone needed to step up. You, you're not going to replace Embiid with one singular guy. Obviously, it's going to take a collective effort. But if there was ever a game for Seth Curry to go berserk and have an unreal shooting night, he picked the perfect night in the series to do it. Yeah, for sure. He was, I mean, fantastic. I mean, you call him unsung hero. I don't think he was unsung. I mean, I think he got all the credit. Unsung hero now is Tyrese Maxey. Coming off the bench, giving that energy. Yeah, they were feeling it with, with Maxey in there. And, and Doc left him in for a while. I mean, he... How, how could you not? Play last night? Yeah. I think he ran around 20. He finished 26, like right under yeah, 20. 26 yeah. minutes. So I, I, and I kept wondering, like, when's he going to take Tyrese out? Cause this dude probably needs a breather, but doc also does have that mindset of, well, he's a young guy. We're going to leave him out there. So, <laughs> so, but yeah, I mean, I, I thought Tyrese was, was fantastic. Really the last two games, obviously it doesn't count as much, uh, you know, in game, what was it? Four that they lost, but I mean, Tyrese has been fantastic lately. It's scary to see 
I guess would be the word I would use. And listen, I credit Doc for for leaving him out there. He said before the playoffs that, you know, minutes restrictions and, and set limits were kind of go out the window. And he was going to let guys go until their body couldn't give anymore. And as we know, Tyrese Maxey is not one to never give an inch. So, you know, as long as he was out there, he's going to go and give it his all. But the thing that really blew me away with him was just the confidence and the swagger that he was playing with. This is a 19-year-old rookie thrown into the end. I don't, I don't know. We're going to stick with him. He might be 20 now, but still, I mean, 20. No, 19, 19 imagine, 20 years imagine old. being 20 and doing what he's doing in the NBA right now. Even that is crazy. I barely had my own life in check at 19, 20 years old, <laughs> let alone giving postseason minutes to a team trying to win a title. But when he was out there, it's just, he was looking like a guy that had been there for years. You you saw him anytime he was hitting layups. He, he had the bounce. He was not in his head. There was one time in the second half, he hit a layup and he hit the kind of like mini flex to the crowd for a second and like locked back in the game mode. It was just, it was crazy scoring off the dribble, breaking guys down off the dribble in isolation in a playoff game that young. It's just, he really is tailor made for moments like this. It's, it's crazy for a rookie to be able to increase his game as the moments get bigger. I mean, we've said it all year that Tyrese Maxey has been like, like a diamond in the rough of this draft class falling all the way to 21 and what he's done in the playoffs has been a testament to that. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously we'll, we'll never know, but I, I almost, I'm curious of how he would look on a team that really isn't that good. Like, I mean, he's on a playoff team, a number one seeded playoff team, and he's having this sort of impact. Can you imagine if he plays for the Charlotte Hornets, like LaMelo ball did, or like the Minnesota Timberwolves, like, like Anthony Edwards, like, I think we're talking rookie of the year, but he's on a tough, like he's on a tough team, like to crack the rotation. So still got better. Gets better. Like doc even said it last night. He's our worst. He was our worst defender in the beginning of the year. Mm -hmm. Now he's holding his own. Like it's, it it really is incredible to see like the type of development that he had in year one. And the fact that he can come in to a game four and a game five, in the first round of the playoffs on a first seeded team and have that kind of impact, especially when your team's best player is out. Like you need people to step up and he's one of those guys that really just brought it. And I'd be shocked if doc rivers like doesn't start like really relying on them in, in round two. And if there was any doubt left out there that Philadelphia isn't head over heels in love with Tyrese Maxey, Game five was a testament. If he could have ever had a performance in front of a fully packed Wells Fargo Center, he picked a great one. There was a a point late in the game, uh, Ben Simmons tipped a pass, and he went to save it, and then the ball was still rolling out of bounds. And Tyrese Maxey just completely lays out and goes flying into the scorer's table, gets a standing ovation from the crowd for the hustle. I mean, they were – the crowd was was living and dying on everything that was going on in the game, but anything involving Maxi, I mean, when he was laying it out there, the crowd was absolutely going nuts for him. So, you know, huge moment for him after, you know, having a nice rookie season and having that 39-point barrage in an empty arena, getting the chance to really soak in how nice of a city this is and how, you know, the love that they have for their players and guys who really give their all out there, I think was a great moment all around for him. Yeah, listen, if for any future player that might end up on the Sixers, and I've I've <laughs> I've analyzed this over the years, if you want to win the crowd over, die for a basketball. <laughs> 
try it. Like you don't. He didn't even save it. Yeah, <laughs> that's yeah. the funniest he, part. Well, it wasn't even close, but he fully laid out for it like he wanted it. <laughs> yeah, so like it doesn't even matter. Like you don't have to save it. You die for a basketball. You're getting a standing ovation, and it sounds ridiculous, but like they appreciate that that kind of effort and hard work. So, um, getting off Maxi. Exactly. And that's where I'm going. Getting off Maxi, <laughs> we'll go to uh, the guy who honestly plays hard every single game, but <laughs> for some reason cannot win over that crowd. Ben Simmons, again, out of, I mean, he, he didn't even play bad in game four. He just couldn't hit his free throws, which we mentioned that's an issue. We're not letting him off the hook for that. But in game five, again, Ben Simmons looked good, triple double. Uh, his hitting some free throws um, wasn't perfect, but he had a moment where he hit two <laughs> when, when they started the hack of Ben. So what did you see out of Ben Simmons in his, I guess, comeback performance after, after that game four, where he received all that criticism? I thought he turned in a good showing. Uh, I love the fact that Doc fully embraced small ball and started him at center. I think that was completely the right decision because Mike Scott is just unplayable and it's something he got away with in the regular season, but wasn't going to work in the postseason. So I love the decision of starting Bennett center, opening up the floor, let him do his thing, let him get out in transition, you know, let him push, let him find shooters. And I mean, the free throw shooting, you know, I'll take five of eight any night. I think Scott Brooks had to be fuming on the inside that Ben Simmons and Dwight Howard both turned in incredible free throw. Dwight Howard was eight for 10 from the line and Ben Simmons yeah. was five for eight. You had to think that those two guys, if it was close, he was going to hack them and it just, he, they just completely negated it. So credit to Ben Simmons. I mean, we saw in warmups, he, he was putting in the time, you know, you know, him and Sam Cassell were glued to that free throw line. He was working through his form, but I've never seen a crowd get so amped up for free throws until game five. But listen, if it's going to have Ben shoot five for eight, I'm for it. I thought his performance all around was incredible. Another triple-double. He fell just short of averaging a triple-double for the series, although people, you know, he was on the wrong end of scrutiny for two games of the series for pretty much no reason whatsoever. And he is another one. Stepped up with his leadership, stepped up with his defense, did it all for the Sixers, and played his part in pulling out that win in game five. Yeah, definitely. I mean, listen, he, which, you know, I'm sure we'll, we'll grade that series at some point within the next few days. Um, but I mean, there, he really, aside from his free throws, everything else was flawless. Like, I, I don't even know how you can, you know, he's, he's making plays. He's, he's still scoring. I mean, he's not doc said it, he's not a 40 point scorer, but he's going to come out and score on his own. He's going to create scoring. And I don't know how, you can scrutinize his performance in really any game of that series. So it'll be interesting to see uh, how he transitions into the next round. Cause obviously the second round is something that the Sixers haven't been able to get past since this era of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. Obviously we don't know what um, Joel Embiid's going to do, or we don't know what he can do moving forward, but the Sixers are going to rely on Ben Simmons and they're going to play the Atlanta Hawks. Now, this is a team that you said you preferred to play the Knicks over the Hawks. Obviously, it's not going to happen. The Hawks did a great job uh, defeating New York 4-1. to one. We found out shortly after the, uh, the Sixers beat the Wizards that they were going to play the Hawks. So 
coming into that game will be on Sunday. Another another afternoon, 1 p.m. I can't wait. We're gonna have breakfast at the Wells Fargo Center. It's gonna be exciting. Um, you know what? What do you think? I, I guess we'll just we'll start with these initial predictions, and then you can you can think it over for for the next few days, and we'll revisit it. But just your gut reaction. How do you think that this series is going to play out? Obviously, it depends on when and if we get Joel Embiid in this series. But going into it right now without Joel Embiid, it's going to be tough. I mean, a lot of people, after seeing how the Sixers performed in Game 5, they feel pretty confident about Atlanta in the second round. But it's a very good team with a lot of firepower. They're going to have to play a near-perfect game every night without Joel Embiid. I think they can you know, definitely keep it competitive, mostly because of how engaged they can still be on the defensive end without Embiid. But they have a lot of firepower to slow down, and I don't know how much the small ball experiment would work against a team like Atlanta. Because if you look at Washington, obviously it could work a little more, especially when they started Daniel Gafford, who could be considered a little undersized at the center position. But with Atlanta, they have Clint Capella. That's a guy who's extremely physical, extremely active on the glass, Great job running the rim, blocking shots, catching lobs. Works well in the pick and roll with Trey Young. And that might give them some trouble if they have to go small and extended stints or you roll out Dwight Howard. But in a physical matchup like that, you don't know how much the refs are going to let them play and that could neutralize how much you use Howard. So being without Embiid definitely puts them a little bit behind the eight ball. But I, if they do it, I think maybe they could drag it out to seven games. And if you could get it to one game, win or go home, I think the Sixers could – pull out that win because although Atlanta has a lot of firepower one thing the Sixers have the edge in is playoff scars and experience and I think as we get deeper into the playoffs that's something that could stick out this Atlanta team this is really essentially their first run together you know Trey Young uh, Bogdanovich Herder these are all guys getting their first you know real taste of postseason play and I think that's something that the Sixers have in their favor and hopefully can give them a slight edge as they still try to survive without Embiid yeah, I, I definitely – I mean, if, if Joel was playing it, it wouldn't even be, like, a question. Yeah, like five. Sixers, yeah, playing, Sixers yeah, win this easily. Now he's not playing, and that's a huge gap to overcome. Like, this guy going into any – before Brooklyn, going into any game, or Brooklyn or Milwaukee, Joel is the best player on the floor for each either team. But in this case, now you – it's like Trey Young is, might be the best player on the floor. So you don't have that advantage. And then, you know, you talk about the whole thing where you have Dwight Howard behind him, you have nothing like th- this is one of those things where it hurts that the Sixers didn't go out and find themselves uh, a reliable veteran center. And I know everyone wants to say, well, they should have held on to Tony Bradley. No, yeah. <laughs> you need George Hill. You don't get George Hill without Tony Bradley. Sorry, but you know, they could have got something somewhere else. Uh, they got, Anthony Tolliver, who doesn't look like he's going to be doing anything in the playoffs and they're not even going to attempt that. Um, the thing that I think about going into the second round is, is Doc Rivers going to continue to experiment with this all bench lineup? Is Mike Scott going to continue to get minutes in the second round? You have, you would have to think that that like kind of goes away, right? Like what I was surprised he did it yesterday. Like I was thinking, all right, Joel's out. They know that they have to win this game. You don't want to go back to D.C. As much as I know that the Sixers were going to win that series, it could have realistically went to seven games if 
they go back to DC. So I'm thinking, all right, they're going to win at home. They're not going to roll out an all bench lineup. There's going to be a starter on the floor at all times. Mike Scott isn't going to play, but again, so many people got minutes that they probably shouldn't have gotten. But what do you think? Do you think they're going to roll out that, that all bench lineup in the second round? Sure. hope not, but listen, it doesn't, I mean, with Joel out, I feel like it's more of a possibility just because obviously that, that's one less starter that you can have in and out of the rotation with them. But I mean, maybe hopefully if he does it, hopefully it's an extremely small stint. But like I said, the Sixers are going to have to play a near perfect game to keep this series competitive without Embiid. And I don't consider the all bench lineup, no matter how many minutes they have outside of garbage time being part of the, the game plan of a perfect game. Listen, I got hold on before before we got it. I got a little bit of breaking news right here, right? Big game, big game last night. 76ers game five on NBC Sports Philly was the highest rated 76ers game on the network since 2002 and the number one program in primetime last night. Wow. That's just in. <laughs> People big. came to see Tyrese Maxey. Yeah, literally. Ty- so. Tyrese Maxey equals ratings. That's all I'm hearing. <laughs> Tyrese Maxey has nothing to do with the Sixers potentially going to the second round of the playoffs for the third time in four years. Just Tyrese Maxey. Yeah. Just- but anyway, um, so, you know, we, we're, we're talking about this all bench lineup. I talk Mike Scott. I'm going to assume Mike Scott isn't going to play in the second round. I hope, I hope <laughs> so. I mean, we only saw him for three minutes in game five. There was also one stint. I forget it was like towards the end of a quarter, but Doc put Mike Scott in legitimately for 30 seconds and then instantly pulled him. I, I don't understand what the logic was around it whatsoever, but it happened and I was just kind of head scratching. But he did that. He actually he did that with like Furcon too. It was it was a strange situation. Like he put him in. I think they went defense offense and then he took him out. And then if, he didn't. If even... you're going defense offense, where, where does Mike Scott come into that? He can't hit a shot and he gives you almost he gives you size defensively maybe like he's still like a tweener to three four (laughs) trying to fit him at the five like i don't understand at this point what he gives i mean i get it you're you're desperate and you you need to throw bodies out there with no Embiid. but at, at this point i'd rather just take anthony tolliver you're pretty much getting the same kind of production maybe tolliver knocks down a shot for you but at least at the end of the day when Tolliver was out there in the regular season in stretches, I mean, he made smart veteran plays. He was always doing the right thing out there. I mean, I'll take that over two two thing, two options that are going to give you minimal production. I'll at least take the one with, with the veteran IQ, the veteran savvy that might be able to give you a little more. Yeah, I, I'm actually shocked that they didn't like try to even like say, because like, Tolliver has playoff experience. That's the right. crazy part. It's not like, like, I know there's a lot of people out there that are like, I want Paul Reed over Mike Scott. Yeah, that- no one's going to do that because Paul Reed was literally a two-way player like a few months ago. They just signed him to a regular deal. He has zero playoff experience. So that I understand when when you need that that big out there, when you don't want to put Dwight out there, you don't have Joel. I get that you go Mike Scott over Paul Reed. I don't understand why there's no even attempt to just say like, Anthony Tolliver, go out there, give us some, you know, some solid veteran minutes. He doesn't need to go out there hitting threes you're putting Mike Scott out there and he's not hitting threes I don't really think Mike Scott's a good defender and like you said when Anthony Tolliver did get his very limited minutes in the regular season 
he did stuff that didn't show up on the on the box score. Like he was just in the right place. He made the right plays. And I don't know. I, I feel like they should they should have at least tried in the first round because that was the thing. Uh, you talked about experimenting in game five. And that was, I think, one of the things that they should have did because at this point we know that Mike Scott is not – he's not improving anytime soon. Like it's just – we've seen enough is, is my point. So it'll be interesting to see – what happens in round two? It sounds like Shake Milton. Now we'll go to the guards. It sounds like Shake Milton's not going anywhere, based on what Doc Rivers said last night. Yeah, it seems that way. I mean, it was it was kind of sad for me at the end that Shake Milton came in with the garbage time lineup, and I was just kind of like, what a what a like a I can't even a journey for Shake Milton of being this emerged player last year for the Sixers at towards the end of the regular season. And then the bubble. And now this year he's like the garbage time guy in the playoffs after they've already blown out the wizards to win, but yeah, they, t- Doc- they tell him, they tell him come out and just hold his dribble. Yeah. <laughs> just also, dribble at, the, at the top there. So that last possession where he just dribbled it out. I don't know how many people saw after, but when the shot clock expired, Shake Milton shot the ball left-handed jokingly and drilled it, like swished it without like any effort whatsoever. And it's just like, of course, the guy can't hit a shot all series. And he jokingly shoots one with his offhand and makes it. But I still, I'm still a little bit of a strong believer in Shake Milton. He, he's still so much better than he's played right now. It's obviously all mental. I think with three days to regroup and some practice, I think he'll be able to hit that reset button and be able to kind of take this series and step in the right direction, you know, just kind of leave what was the first round behind you and focus just on improving your game, staying confident, staying true to your work. We saw he got shots up post game. So obviously he's definitely not ready to give up his spot yet. And I think he's going to continue to work to earn his minutes. Yeah. I mean, listen, he didn't have a bad season by any means. Like I think he just, he just kind of, you know, faded out a little bit towards the end there and he's in a slump. He, unfortunately, the slump happens in the postseason, which is never a good time to have a slump. I think it's all uh, after, I don't know if it's after game one, but there was a, there were two games where he literally shot 11% from the field. So like, that's bad, obviously. But I mean, he clearly doesn't think that it's over for him. He might look defeated at times, but like you said, he was, you know, we're, we're getting ready for our, our post-game press conferences and you hear a ball bouncing around and shakes out there hitting shots and he was hitting them too. Like <laughs> they were falling last night. So you almost want to hope like maybe the shots can start falling in the game, but he's going to have the opportunity to do that. Doc Rivers. I don't know if he was just kind of, you know, guessing it up showing his player, like, listen, I'm still confident in you, but it sounds like shake Milton will get minutes moving forward. And um, yeah, I mean, he's, he's not done yet. So We'll see how that plays out. Obviously, we can't predict the future, um, so we'll we'll give our uh, our our uh, series predictions. I think later on in the weekend, unless you want to go for it now. If I had to say my gut one right now, I think I'd have to go Sixers and seven. Seven, nice. Seven. Yeah, not not so confident in that sweep now, are you? No, the the broom <laughs> the broom will stay in the closet for now. I didn't even get to bring it out for game one, but what are you yeah. gonna do? I mean, this is just my initial gut feeling with 
I'm this is going into it and having no idea when Joel Embiid is going to return, even if he's going to return. I'm, I'm confident that he, he will return. I think the question should more be not if, but when, and the focus should be more what form of Joel Embiid are we going to get when he returns exactly. from his, this injury. But with or without him, I think the Sixers could still pull us out, but it, it's going to be ugly. So I'm going to have to go seven. Yeah, I think, and it's it's really unfortunate to think. I mean, you think back to two was it two seasons ago, Embiid had a knee issue, I think it was, in the Brooklyn series. And then he had the illness in the Toronto series. And even though, I mean, he still played solid, like he wasn't terrible, but he wasn't a hundred percent physically. And then I think mentally it catches up with him too. Cause that that's like something with Embiid that's kind of hard to deal with because he gets so down on himself. And doc even said it yesterday. Like he didn't straight up say the words mentally, but he hinted like, yeah, he's down. He's not in a good mood. Like the guy, literally did everything this season to try and stay healthy. And he still has setbacks. He still misses games. And, you know, the whole MVP thing kind of faded away. He's still a finalist, probably won't win it, but that faded away because of that knee injury that he suffered back in March. And then you get to the playoffs and then he's kind of in this mood where he's like, you know, I'm just going to dominate in the playoffs. Doesn't matter anyway. Let's get to the finals. Let me win finals MVP. And then this happens. So it's definitely something that could affect him long-term in the playoffs because obviously he's going to come back and he might not have that same dominance and he's going to be dealing with pain. Like I'm, like I said, I'm no torn meniscus expert, but this isn't something that just like goes away. It's really comes down to how much pain can he take and how will the swelling stay down? So this is going to really it's, it's going to take a toll on him mentally. And it all comes down to how he deals with that throughout the series. So I'm going to agree with you for now. Obviously we'll see how this plays out. The Sixers practice tomorrow. Um, so I'm sure we'll get some sort of update. I'm actually not sure. I don't know why I said, I'm sure <laughs> this is Joel Embiid. I'm not sure we're getting an update tomorrow, but um over the next few days, we'll see how that develops, and then we'll we'll kind of circle back to this and then give more of an official prediction. But for now, we'll allow the Sixers to kind of um, figure out what's really going on with Embiid, figure out how they're going to play all of this moving forward. And tomorrow, they're back at practice. Follow us for live updates, Kev like every single episode drop your twitter handle <laughs> so they can follow you for the updates seven mcc nba and mine is at jgrasso underscore don't forget the underscore and um we will revisit this and make our official predictions for game one of the sixers versus hawk series it's on sunday afternoon can't wait because it's in the afternoon. <laughs> Don't have to wait all day for that game. And um, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.